Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again and uh, happy to have you with us uh, for another study in our series. And before we go to the subject today, I would like to just uh, welcome the panel again. And I'll start with Stephen because he's coming back after a while. Welcome to our program. Thanks, Nick. It's nice to be here again. And I've got Lija here. Lija, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Brenton, on the other side, thank you for being part of this panel. Always a pleasure to be on the panel, Nick. Uh, Rowan, is very good to have you with us, too. Good to be here. Thank you. Uh, Len, our facilitator uh, for today, uh, and thank you, Len, for uh, taking charge yeah. for this Bible study, and uh, I'll just hand it to you right now. Yes, you're very welcome, and hello, listeners. Glad that you could join us today. Today, we are studying about unity in the early Christian church. And as you probably know, that that's the uh, series of studies we're having at the moment. And most people agree that unity is a good thing. After all, the old saying, unity in, is strength, has long been recognised as being pertinent. A rope made up of fibres all lined up in the same direction is much more effective than a pile of those same fibres lying on the ground. Last week, we discussed unity among Christians and concluded this, that unity for unity's sake is worthless. It has no point. It must have a purpose. We also shared with you that the key to Christian unity is Jesus Christ. To honour him, to obey him, and to worship him engenders unity and is the reason for unity. And this week, we'll see how the key and focus of Christian unity, that's Jesus, worked out in the early Christian church. And before we go any further, Stephen, would you like to pray? That'd be great. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can spend some time um, delving into this topic, particularly as it relates to the early church and Acts. And I pray, Lord, that as each of us um, shares um, different points of view on the topic, as we discuss the questions that are raised and um, interact together, that your spirit will be with us and that at the end of the time that we spend together, that um, we will feel blessed and encouraged and we'll feel a sense of uh, unity and bondedness together. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, before we delve into this topic, Rowan, I think you've got a couple of very pertinent things sure. to say about yes. what we are studying today. So I'll just um, state this, that uh, church unity is the, is the result of a shared spiritual experience in Jesus. And Jesus Christ first brings the soul to himself, but then he always unites that soul to other believers in his body, uh, which is the church. And, and this is something that happens in, in real life, even uh, in different ways, that uh, when people uh, go through um, a shared experience, it could be a difficult time, it could be an, an, a, a pleasant experience that sort of brings them together, even uh, to a level where they begin to have con continuous contact from that point of view because of the experience that they've had. But in this case, the experience is through Jesus Christ. When we experience Jesus Christ, we want to be and, and we love to be with those who, who share the same experience. And Jesus blesses us in that unity through the experience with him. Yes, thank you, Ron. Brenton, would you like to open your Bible to Acts chapter 1 and read verses 12 to 14? Certainly. 
Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now, I think, Len, in order to understand what they were doing, which we'll get to a little bit later, we need to go back to verse 8, where Jesus actually gave them a command. He said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I would suggest to our listeners that what Jesus, what they were discussing was not only their preparedness for what they were to do, but they were also mindful of what the Lord had actually told them that he wanted them to do. He said, you will be witnesses to me. In other words, witnesses of what I've done, the fact that I've died, that I've rose again, that I've gone to heaven. You're going to be witnesses of all those things, and I want you to share them. So when did this actually happen? You read there, when they returned to Jerusalem, when... What marked this particular event? So I think it was just after the ascension of Jesus yes. because if That's you've right. got, look at verses 10 and 11, you have those two angelic beings come and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there gazing into heaven? You know, the same Jesus who you've yes. seen ascend into heaven will come in like manner as you've seen him go. I think that's a rough, a rough memory of the King James Version of the of the passage, and um, so they've just watched Jesus ascend. It must have been an amazing event. I mean, you know, just imagine standing there on on the top of the Mount of Olives mm. and watching this person who you've spent the last three and a half years with, who's just died and rose again forty days ago, ascending up into heaven. Mm. You'd be sort of, I don't know. I think I'd be somewhat overcome by the whole thing. I'd be going. Mm. Goodness gracious me! You know this is this yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Mm. I'm sure Jesus would have prepared them for the fact that he was going to go. In fact, mm. if you read in the Gospel of John, it tells you that he he's going to leave them. Yes. yes. Um, in John chapter mm-hmm. 16, I think it is from memory. Mm. Yes. Um, so they, after Jesus' death and his resurrection, I think a lot of those things that he had said to them when they were following him for those three and a half years would have started to come. You know, click. crashing back into his mind and to click, Brendan, mm. that's right. So mm. um, this was after the ascension. Yeah. Right. So Jesus went back to heaven. Uh, when he was gone, the disciples, this was the time they went back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And this is the beginning of the events we're talking about today. Now, I know Brenton read who was in the group, but who was in the group? Was it just the... Uh, apostles, or was it somebody else, Lydia? As Brenton read previously, uh, there were the 11 <coughs> disciples, and Brenton named uh, them all uh, one by one. And uh, between them, there were Mary, it says the mother of Jesus, uh, and his brothers, and uh, probably some other women. It's interesting that Jesus' brothers at one stage regarded him as a bit of a maverick, but now... They've come and they are part of the group of believers at this time. Now, Stephen alluded to this before when he was answering the question. Yes. Jesus had gone. You know when somebody you love dearly leaves, tears often flow. Stephen, were they sorrowing? I'm inclined to think not. I've thought about this question for for quite a while now, wondering whether they were, would have been upset and sorrowing in the sense of loss. I think they'd already done that. 
I think that they'd already gone through that experience when they watched Jesus die on the cross and they'd spent those best part of three days feeling the sense of aloneness and lost. And, of course, Jesus was resurrected, right, Mm -hmm. after three days and three nights. And suddenly I'm sure their attitudes would have changed. And so now they're probably um, more amazed and awestruck, I think, rather than sorrowing because Mm -hmm. they've already been, as I say, through that sorrowing experience. And now they're... They're slightly blown away by the fact that he really is leaving and he is going back to the Father who sent him, as he, as he said in the, and as is recorded in the Gospel of John. Yeah. And if I could add uh, a little bit also to that, you know, through that expression, you know, that they were like some sort of you know, sorrow for, for seeing Jesus departing, is because almost like feeling like a flock without a shepherd. You know, he, Jesus is, is leading them, but the amazing thing is that. If you realize that uh, you need some power to to guide you, Jesus promises them the Holy Spirit. Well, that's right. If you look at the next verses, it says in verse 15, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more than 11, isn't it? Plus a few women. And said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. But uh, the bit I want to focus on there is in verse 16 where he talks about the Holy Spirit. Yes. And already the, they know that they're waiting for something. And they know that yeah. it's the Holy Spirit who's going mm. to come to them. And yeah. so they're starting to see his leading direction and guiding r- right throughout the whole yeah. process of yeah. see, salvation history. Luke 49 says the same thing as you were saying, Steve. He said to them to wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Mm. Now, they're in this uh, 10-day transition. I'll call it the transition period between when Christ has ascended and when the Holy Spirit is poured out as they're expecting. There is, to me, I think, Steve, what you were saying, there's a sense of expectancy here. Yeah, I think so too. It's not a case of, oh, dear, our Lord is gone. Mm. No, it's a case of... We're waiting, Lord. We're waiting. Fill us. Fill us with your spirit. And the thing is, Jesus has promised that it's going to come, and it's going to come very soon. We often talk about receiving the Holy Spirit as well these days. They had a much tighter time frame than what we have in our minds, in in the special outpouring, yeah? I mean, the Spirit's already very active today. We can read about it and see it in our own lives and the lives of those around about us. But, um, you know, the Bible does talk in terms of a a special outpouring towards the end of time. But we don't know when that's going to be, whereas these guys, they knew that this was coming in a matter of days. Yeah. yeah. Now, Ledger, if she's been trying to say something for a while. And, <laughs> uh, and also, I think they gathered together just because they wanted to, to contemplate on Jesus' teachings mm. as they were, as they spent time together, his deeds on earth together with them, his miracles, and also on the fact that when he left, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. Mm. Okay, he promised that he said, I'm going to send you another comforter, the Holy Spirit, which uh, he's going to accompany you and uh, guide you uh, in discovering more truths. And I think when they heard this, they decided to make a preparation in regard of receiving the Holy Spirit. Mm. So these 10 days were for them a period of consecration. Uh, preparation, they humble their hearts in repentance, in true repentance, and confess their unbeliefs. And you know, it, it says that they they came in one accord. Yeah. So, yes. 
constantly in prayer. Okay, thanks, Ledges. So, Stephen, the Bible says they did something while they were there waiting. What did they do? Well, Ledges kind of already answered that. They, they, they were praying. They were praying, and they were, I think they were reflecting on Jesus. And I think in those ten days, a lot of the stuff that Jesus was say, had been saying to them that they really hadn't gripped. Like he, he'd told them over and over again that he was going to die, and they never really quite seemed to get a get handle on that until it actually happened. It was like it was a shock. Mm. But suddenly, in those ten days, it seems it starts to all pull together because mm. at the tenth day, Peter gets up and he preaches this incredible sermon, mm. which mm-hmm. brings about conviction in the hearts of. A lot of people. I just can't remember how many was it. Three thousand or something. Three thousand. You know, if we could all get up and preach sermons that brought conviction <coughs> in the hearts of three thousand people, we'd be pretty excited, right? Yeah. And I know it wasn't he that convicted. That's the Holy Spirit's role. But he'd he'd got his framework together. He suddenly he'd pulled all the things that Jesus had said, and suddenly it all started to gel and make sense. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. what was going on in those ten days. And if I could add again, also something there, because in that period, imagine that when Jesus was with them on this earth. If they have an issue, a problem, they always will uh, run to Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you say about this? What do you do about this? But now they are on themselves and they have to put things right with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have to glue together now. And that word in oneness or in one accord was very important for this small group of believers, followers of Jesus Christ, because that's a reflection on what we should uh, learn from this lesson. We are here to uh, consider each other, to pray for each other, to support each other, to be able to carry the work which Jesus uh, commanded us to do. Now, Brenton, you've got something you would like to share here. There's a statement, Len, that I believe uh, we can share with our listeners. We can imagine these 10 days as a period of intense spiritual preparation, a kind of retreat during which these disciples share together their memories of Jesus, his deeds, his teachings, and his miracles. They were of one accord in prayer and supplication. Just the comment, we've all commented on this thus far, the comment that I would make on it is, I believe, personally, their primary focus here would have been a fitness to be Christ's witnesses. Mm-hmm. The unity that needed to be brought about and that was taking place, as Steve said, during this 10-day time frame, the unity that was coming together was necessary in order that the witness might be effective. Mm-hmm. Witness can never be effective if, if there's disunity. We've already discussed a few of the things that mm. they probably did. Do you think there's anything else they might have done? Yes, and, and I think we, we are going back to the to verse 14 there, which says these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And I think prayer is often, you know, sort of a, 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 an almost spontaneous reaction to the situation or the circumstance that you are in. And, and the circumstance that the, the disciples are in is that on one hand they are looking forward, you know, to all the promises that Jesus has given them. But on the other hand, I think it was not so easy for them because they knew that uh, uh, their coming together was something that was going to meet some resistance from the world in which they were living. Mm-hmm. So, so the, 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 yeah. the, there was a certain sense of, of, should I call it, a sort of certain sense of apprehension of, you know, where are we and where are we going to stand? And I think that that, <coughs> uh, that expectation of resistance or of, of maybe... Uh, even endangering their own lives by following this Christ who was crucified only, you know, a, f- a few, you know, days ago, that brought them together. 
that we can only only when we stand in unity mm. and pray for each other and, yes. and strengthen each other, only when we are together are we able to pass through this. And, and when I was reflecting on that also, I thought that the experiences that uh, the disciples went through, which was quite a roller coaster of experience, okay? Mm. Uh, if, um, for, the last, for the last three years, they've been happy with Jesus, and suddenly they see him being crucified, and, and they are into all kinds of sorrowfulness. Yes. And then a few days later, they are happy. And then for some time, and then he's going again. And then now they have to look only forward to a certain um, uh, hope that they have in their, in their minds. But that experience, to me, is actually a training, a, a training to prepare them for yes. what they need yes. to do. Yes. And that training brings them together uh, in that experience, you know, of having known, you know, where they are. And and the training to me goes beyond just uh, that. It also uh, prepares them in pretty much the same way that, that an, an army of soldiers is prepared. They have to go through a certain training before they come to become able to do certain things. Mm. And, and, mm. and just like an army, again, the unity of the army is what makes them successful or fail. Yes. If they're not united as an army, they, they're not going to do well. Yeah, That's so true. You know, uh, we, we've watched the political situation here in Australia over the last few years, and, and the politicians are always saying, disunity is death for your political aspirations. And we've watched that over and over again. So unity is very important. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that their prayers are very fervent and... You know, those sort of things occur to us. There are certain issues. We don't know what the future is. So it's good to pray about it. And uh, Lydia, yes, please. Um, I think they also recalled Jesus' teachings, statements and miracles because, uh, and also his passion for his people, you know, the way he did miracles. And it happens that when you are with a person, it's like... You don't appreciate the person as much as when you lose the person, mm. when the person is going away in a holiday for a long time or away from you or is passing away. You appreciate the person more than when the person is with you. So I think in this situation, they recalled uh, the privilege of, uh, of being with him. Uh, uh, it went more um, apprehensive now than before. Right. Okay. So they waited and prayed and shared during these 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, what happened? Stephen, would you read that from Acts 2, verses 1 to 4? Sure. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Spirit came. The promised comforter came. Now, Ledger, who received the Holy Spirit? In verse 4, so Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says plainly that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is for anybody. If, say, just some of the group Let's say two or three of the apostles were given this uh, ability to speak in other tongues. What do you think would have happened amongst the group? 
Well, you'd have instantly created a hierarchy, wouldn't you? Mm. There'll be those who have and those, those who, who don't. don't. Yes. So the fact is that all of them received the Spirit. So this, this, if you like, consolidated the unity that they were developing during that time. Mm. There was not one above another. They were all in it together. Brenton, in view of the squabbles amongst the disciples earlier while they were with Jesus... What's the significance of this all receiving the Spirit? I think it's very significant, Len, uh, that they all received the Spirit because, after all, the statement that was made earlier in Acts chapter 1 before Steve read indicated that uh, when Jesus was received up out of their sight, we don't know. There are various suggestions in the Scriptures as to how many people were present when he actually ascended to heaven. It may have been more than just the 11 disciples. Yes. Therefore, it is relevant to say that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all of them. I'd like to take it a step further and apply it to 2018. I believe today many people, many of our listeners would be thinking in terms of receiving the Holy Spirit. Many of them would attend communions where the Holy Spirit is spoken of in very important terms. The, the important issue here is that all of them received the mm. gift of speaking in tongues. And as we come down a little bit further, we'll find it's actually a reversal to some degree of what took place at the Tower of Babel. They're not only hearing in their own language, but they're also understanding. Mm. Mm. So what was the purpose of speaking in tongue? Why the Holy Spirit was imparted to everyone, each of them, to speak in tongues? So what was the purpose? Well, I think it comes back to what Brendan said before. Remember, he, he took us back to Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse... Verse 8, um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost the parts answer. of the world. Mm -hmm. So that's the answer. Exactly. The, yeah. God gives his spirit not just to make us feel good, mm -hmm. although yes. I'm sure that's a byproduct, mm -hmm. yeah. but God gives us his spirit so we can order to carry out the purpose that he places Correct. on us yes. as his followers. Yes. So witness. even in our days, God is imparting the Holy Spirit to us in our in 2018 in the, in the days we live now to be his witnesses and his followers mm. and his co-workers everywhere in whatever we do that's mm. right one of my big um beefs of times is, is john chapter 16 which has a little title in it called the work of the holy spirit and it talks about what the holy spirit's job is it's to convict the world about three things to convict the world about its sin in regard to it's guilt and it's sin, righteousness and judgment. Mm. And the big sin is not believing in Jesus. Yes, so the, the, the Holy Spirit's job mm. is to help us to bring about belief in Christ. That's his primary purpose. Um, it's not about helping us to understand who the Holy Spirit is. It's about mm. the Holy Spirit coming to empower us to share who Jesus is so that the Holy Spirit then can bring conviction in people's hearts and they can realize their sin of not believing in Jesus mm. and realize that that's a mistake and turn and follow and be saved. Yeah. Now, another very important thing here is that the Holy Spirit brought about conviction, brought about um, power, mm. but it was all in unity with Christ. Yeah. The Holy Spirit yeah. wasn't teaching the people to go and do something else which was against Christ. Mm -hmm. It was all for the same purpose. And so that was this. Now, those of you who know the story, and perhaps those of you who haven't read the story, and I recommend you read Acts chapters 1 and 2 at least to hear the story, we'll know that a great crowd 
gathered out of this room, around this room where mm-hmm. the people were. Mm. And the disciples or the people there were able to speak in other languages. How did this, when the, the disciples spoke in their own languages to the people gathered around, how did that affect the unity of the people outside, Rowan? Very interesting, really, because uh, before, the, before the, the, the Holy Spirit came down on them and they were able to speak in tongues, um, a, a number of things had happened. So the first thing is that they were gathered there, Jews from you know, different places across the world. About 16 different places. Yes, around. about 16 different places, if not more. And, and the, some of them may have been skeptical. Maybe they have heard about this Jesus. Maybe uh, they've heard one or two things that he did this and he did that. And they're not too, too sure, right? And, and then the first thing that happens is that there's a lot of noise. Just, just noise, because the Holy Spirit is coming, and, and that sort of attracts the attention and brings them to say, "What's going on here?" Right. And then, when they come, the Holy Spirit has descended, and the, the, the disciples are speaking in tongues, and they were able to hear that word that they were skeptical about, that they were thinking about, that they were reflecting about. They were able to hear it, you know, straightforward for the first time, being explained in their own language, yes. so that they cannot have any doubt. So, so we see that the entire crowd and, and the disciples, they are brought together, you know, by that truth. Yeah, the same, they had the same message. Yeah. But the other interesting thing is, um, is that those who weren't amenable to what they were saying just thought they were all drunk. Mm. Yeah. So the, the curious thing about it all is those who, are willi- who were a- available for heart conviction heard in their language. Mm. Those who weren't ready for a heart conviction just thought the disciples had been on the on the. On the, on the booze. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Len, just a quick one on this, uh, That uh, following what Steve said. It's interesting that um, the crowd make the comment, are not all these men Galileans? Mm. Now, Galileans were known for several things. They were known for very poor grammatical construction. They were also known for being fairly uncouth in their manners. This would have really got the attention of the people from all these places that were mentioned here, that these men and women have suddenly become very, very articulate in presenting the message of Christ's death and resurrection and ascension in languages that they understood. This Mm. would have blown their minds. Ah. (laughs) My wife would have said she was born in Holland. She would have spoken of the Galileans as being butchers from Bolton. <laughs> I mean, I just want to uh, I just want to say something mm. as one who come to this country and speaking uh, no one word even of of this language, and um, I experience myself how hard it is to communicate. Yeah. And language it's a tool of communication. Yeah, yes. And you're talking about different groups uh, coming there. Now mm-hmm. those groups, the most important thing was to communicate with each other, mm. not just to have. A, uh, if because we are not going to go today into the, the doctrine of the speaking in tongues, uh, as some people may understand, uh, that's just a, a miracle, you know, an experience experience with God yourself and God, which can be, you know, I'm not going to argue that point, but what I want to say is that God is doing a miracle there, that the good news, the gospel, can be very powerfully expressed, communicated with other people. And heard. And heard. So, Peter addressed the crowd. Now, this raises some interesting things. (laughs) Did the people hear when Peter spoke in their own language 
or was Peter interpreted by the others who could speak all these different languages? The Bible doesn't say. That's room for speculation. Peter addressed the crowd, and we don't know whether they heard in their own language or if the others interpreted in, in their own language. We don't know. But he addressed the crowd, and when he had spoken, how did what he say affect them? Well, um, it affected them the way every preacher likes to have his congregation respond. It says in verse 37, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And Brenton, what reply did Peter give to that question? He said, Repent and let every one of you be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of uh, is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Len, can I just make a couple of comments in light of what Steve read? The term cut to the heart is really interesting, because if you go to Acts chapter 7, you will find exactly the same statement mentioned when Stephen called them stiff-necked and uncircumcised. It says they were cut to the heart. On that occasion, they stoned Stephen to death. On this occasion, when the Holy Spirit has poured out upon them, they are actually at a stage spiritually where they say what have we got to do Mm. and Peter's answer is repent and be baptised he's actually sheeting home the blame for Christ's crucifixion to them even though they weren't individually responsible Mm. for it Mm. the fact that they hadn't believed on Jesus as the Messiah is now coming home to roost so to speak it's coming home so powerfully that they're actually sitting back and saying brothers what are we going to do? Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. And Rowan, what happened as a result of what Peter said? Yes, so on uh, verse 41 then says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And I think the, 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 the key word there to me is they gladly received. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, they had every reason to, because the message had been explained in a way that they understand. Um, I do spend some of my time teaching, and sometimes you find uh, the people of different um, from different language uh, languages who speak different languages, and maybe English is not their best language. And you can see that somebody wants to express something, but they just don't have the diction to do it. But yeah. but they're they're trying; they're looking for words everywhere, right? And 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 sometimes you wish you could speak their language so you can explain to them clearly what whatever subject it is that is there and and if that could happen then they have every reason to gladly you know accept the word and when they've really understood it as these uh, 3000 souls did then they chose to be baptized so this particular time was the beginning of what we would call uh, the commencement of the apostolic church the new christian church although it wasn't called that at that stage and so you had all these people uh, had uh, they all believed and they were baptized and so on and they'd received the holy spirit too then which and i think oh, is a yes. really important very thing. important i mustn't overlook that mm. so in acts 2 verses 42 to 47 stephen it talks about what these early christians did as a group well they did things that were going to enhance their understanding of the person that they'd been introduced to so it says in verse 42 They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Is that as far as you want me to go, Len, or a bit further? Uh, 47. Oh, yeah, sorry. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's the kicker. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yes. So this was a a really very special time. Yeah, it must have been amazing. Mm. Now, Lydia... They ate together, they they worshipped together, they prayed together. Did those particular activities in themselves strengthen the bond of unity, or what do you reckon? I think um, this intentional commitment uh, on the part of, the, of these believers strengthened their unity, and the unity was in Christ. So it was visible in many, many ways because... They were bonded together. They were praying, worshipping, fellowshipping, eating together, sharing their experiences, sharing their feelings to one another. So uh, also they preached the, the gospel to all the nations. And from that, it raised up a responsibility of love and care towards one another a gene- generosity and mutual support within their own local fellowship and they bond it together mm. so this bond is missing in our times we need to bond to one another also okay so they had unity in belief yeah they had unity in purpose and the unity was actually strengthened by the activities. You just think of your own family celebrations mm. where people live in different areas and then for certain occasions like birthdays mm. and things like mm. that, they come together. It's a bonding time. Although I've heard that more murders occur over Christmas than any other time. But <laughs> I think special time of year. I think there's a certain liquid that probably promotes that. <laughs> and it, it breaks the bond rather than strengthens it. But under normal circumstances, the bonds are strengthened by being and doing things together. What did you want to say, Nick? I just want to say that, um, just uh, reminding uh, you know even our listeners that we are talking about the unity in the early church. And the early church is one of the closest, if you like, you know, uh, to the teachings of Jesus Christ, you know, mm. as he told them and the great commission was to go and preach and teach everything what I have commanded you. And I just want to go back to verse 42 which Stephen just uh, read a bit earlier. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. Interesting that is mentioning that word doctrine because people don't like to hear the word doctrine. Uh, so often, you know, because everyone wants to do what he thinks is right. But it's very important to find out what what the truth, the pure truth of Jesus Christ is from the Bible today. And all of them were connected to that. This, You know, today we're talking about uh, uh, churches like uh, non-denominational, 
uh, whatever you do, whatever you believe in, doesn't matter as much as if you are in one accord. I mean, we can, and you mentioned Len, at the beginning, that unity just for the sake of unity mm. means nothing. Mm. But unity in the truth of God, it's what God is expecting from each one of us. Oh. Len, before we move on, can I make a comment on this, which I believe is very, very irrelevant. Permission uh, granted. <coughs> thank you. <laughs> This is something that I feel uh, our uh, listeners would certainly benefit from as well as ourselves. John 9:22 talks about how a blind man uh, who had been blind from birth was healed of his blindness. And it was stated in there when the Pharisees talked to his parents that they were afraid to say anything because they would be put out of the synagogue. Right. Now, Jesus said in John 16, verse 2, the time will come when they will put you out of the synagogue. If you know anything about Jewish background, there were two penalties for being put out of the synagogue. The first was a 30-day penalty, and you weren't allowed to come within four cubits of even your wife or your family during that period of time. The second one was a permanent excommunication, where you were not only ex excommunicated from the communion of believers in the synagogue, you were not allowed to buy and sell. This puts a whole different complexion on what we're studying here, where it says they met. Where did they meet? They met daily in the temple. They met in house to house. That I would suggest to you and to our listeners, they were no longer able to go into the synagogue. They are excommunicated from the synagogues. So therefore, because of the persecution, we all know that persecution can do one of two things. It can destroy you, it can discourage you to the point where you give up. The other point is it brings you so close together that you have a unity mm. like you never had before. Yeah, that's mm. a good point. Yeah, that's possibly true. Um, I, I just forget which time in, um, in the history it happened, but someone told me once that there was... Um, an additional statement that people had to affirm that came into synagogue worship at some stage. Yes, um, I think that And was then right. once that came in, the Christians couldn't affirm it, so that was, so that was the out. point when they were out. Oh, I, I think mm -hmm. this came a little bit yeah. later, Brendan, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so here we have this beautiful community that formed with the early Christian church. What do you think about today? Do you think we can have that same sort of closeness as they did, Rowan? I think it is possible, given the conditions that brought them that unity, uh, if the same conditions would prevail also in our day. Um, so we'll see that the the closeness that they got is is a principle that applies to you know uh, different aspects of life. Even if you go to say, for example, you go to a company, um, a co although you go to the co to, to to work um, at that particular company. They often arrange a number of activities where they just bring together all the different workers from all the different levels and just say, let's, let's socialize, let's fellowship, and maybe several times per year, because they know that you, you cannot be united enough unless you share some time together. Mm -hmm. I mean, those two cannot be separated. But beyond that, Jesus says to his disciples that um, uh, when you love each other, the world will know that you know you are in me and i am in you and love is not something that can be practiced in a remote way you mm. cannot use a remote control yeah. to practice love we have to be together yes. for you to show me love and for me to show you love we have to come in contact and it is that contact that 
is I mean to a large extent missing in the way we are we are doing um, uh, church today because we often meet a few hours you know on a on a day that we worship and we never meet again until you know the, the next, next time. the next time another few hours and then another few hours we come to the end of the year maybe we've met less than. 12, maybe 24 hours the entire year. That's the only time we've shared. And, and that, sh- that time we share is full of, 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 of rituals and it's full of mm-hmm. all these specific things that you have to do. They're all programs. And mm. we never get to talk, mm. just to get mm. to know each other, yeah. just I to agree. be with each other, just Agreed. to enjoy time together. And that is what is missing mm. for us. Agreed. And then, not that um, the question you ask if it's possible to be united, in my opinion, it's not that can be possible. I believe it's vitally necessarily to be united mm. in Jesus Christ for the time we live in and we may come to look at a passage where there were uh, some people or a family you know just Ananias and Sapphira who wanted to be part of the group united but they wanted to do their own things as they thought it's right and that created a lot of things we may come uh, a little bit later to that uh, example but yeah I believe it's vitally uh, necessarily. So from those texts read by Stephen there from uh, 46 chapter 2 verses 42 through to 47 it talks about the believers gladness what were they glad about Brenton? Let me uh, reflect Glenn, um, Glenn by actually reading the second part again. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart I would suggest that they were glad about a number of things. They were glad that they had received confirmation first and foremost by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they were accepted by God. Number two, they had been empowered by his spirit to give a witness to the uh, the, the life, the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And this simplicity of heart I find interesting and this is something I believe we can share with our listeners. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, life becomes, I believe, a lot less complicated because the focus, the focus is on sharing with other people what Jesus has done for you personally and what he can do for them. Mm. A lot of the issues, the the sub-issues of life, the things that float around out there suddenly come into focus and they become either non-important or very much less important. Mm. Ledger, Christians these days, what could they be glad about? We as Christians, we can be glad of many, many things, you know. First of all, that we are accepted as sons and daughters of God, the forgiveness of sin, that we are saved through the blood of Jesus, God's grace and mercy. But the the only thing that I should be so glad is that we have the promise of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to change us. Mm -hmm. And as you said, Brendan, to change our lives and to send us as his followers, his ambassadors. Yeah. Yes. Stephen, would you like to share with what, with the listeners what you want to share? Yeah. Um, I've got a little statement here that kind of summarizes all the things that we've been saying for the last few minutes, and it goes like this. It is remarkable that the first activity this community of new believers engaged in was learning the apostles' teaching. Bible instruction is an important way to facilitate the spiritual growth of new believers. Jesus had given the commission to his disciples to teach them all things that I have commanded you. This new community spent time learning from the apostles all about Jesus. 
They likely heard about Jesus' life and ministry, his teachings, parables, and his sermons, and his miracles, all explained as the fulfillment of the Hebrew scriptures and the writings of the prophets. Mm. So their focus was on who Jesus was and the implications for their life that day. Yeah, Rowan, verses mm-hmm. 44 and 45, perhaps you could read that, and then I'll ask you the question after you've read it. Okay, so this is 44 and 45, they read, And all that believed were together, and had all, all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. So here we have some who had more, providing for those who had little. Mm-hmm. Now, was that a requirement? No, it was not a requirement. That was something that they had to do voluntarily as, as a manifestation of of their experience with Jesus that we've been talking about and as, as a manifestation of their spirituality, but also, more importantly, because of their unity together. Mm. And um, it reminds me of uh, the time of John when, when John was preaching and, and people would come to him and ask, um, what about us? What should we do? And he says something specifically, he says to some, uh, he who has got two coats, uh, give someone else the other one. That, that uh, manifestation of good cannot be legislated. It cannot be forced. You cannot be called to do it by force. It has to come from how you feel yourself being within the communion of the believer. So if we put this into a modern context and say there's a working bee at church, do you line up at the end of it and ask for uh, your wages for helping out? <laughs> Why not? But let me ask a question which can be very, you know, difficult to when you said, was this required or not? That could be if you go one side, you know, you may have some strength and, you know, arguments. If you go the other side, but what I believe, as uh, Rowan just pointed out, it was the teachings of Jesus when he said, if you have two coats, share that with uh, the other people who are in need. Which means, is that a requirement or is it just a free will? Because if Jesus said that, that was not just to... Uh, is, he was drawing our attention that we should not be egocentric. We should not be just looking for our own benefits and goods, but we are here sure. to impart all the blessings which God is giving us. Mm. Okay. Now, um, Brenton, would you read Acts 4, verses 32 to 36? Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is very similar to what you read in the end of Acts chapter 2, how that they were sharing food, etc., 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 now, there's no scriptural proof of what I'm going to um, try to solicit from you, 
But why do you think Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, kind of repeated what happened before? I think he was not only impressed with their oneness, not only in the distribution of uh, money and uh, goods to those who were less fortunate. I think he was, um, verse 33, lend to me is actually the key verse in that section. And with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Mm. And great grace was upon them all. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. We know what grace is. But here... All of the all of the functions that are taking place here, the distribution of goods, the daily worshipping together, the prayers together and all, these are demonstrating to those who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah that indeed there was a power attending these people that was missing in those who were listening. Okay. Now, Stephen, something unusual happened. Yeah. People were selling their properties, providing for those who were needy. <coughs> And up comes the story of Ananias and Sapphira. <laughs> Would you like to just briefly tell us what happened? Well, Ananias and Sapphira are an interesting couple. I guess they had seen the example of um, Joseph from Cyprus, who's also known as Barnabas, as Brendan was saying before. And Barnabas had sold one of his fields. I presume he had a few. And he sold a field and he brought the proceeds of the field and placed it at the apostles' feet in order to supply the needs of those who were in need among the group, right? Mm -hmm. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to do the same thing. And um, long story cut short, they kept back some of the proceeds of the sale and they conspired to tell a lie. Okay. So, in one hand, they did what was good. They provided for the needs, but they must have promised earlier to give all, but they decided, well, we got such a good price, we'll keep a bit. Yeah. I think think the interesting thing here isn't to me anyway maybe i'm i'm wrong and the, and the group here can correct me but it seems to me that the fact that they wanted to keep some of the proceeds for themselves is not the issue the issue was they represented that they gave all the proceeds of the sale of that property whatever it was um to the apostles to be shared amongst the group mm. i think if they had come to the apostles and they'd said look here's 75 percent of this of the proceeds of the sale of our of our section down the road We'd like to share that with the group. I don't think there would have been a problem. No. No. But they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> and we all like to do that, I guess, at times in our lives, um, particularly if it's a nice birthday cake. But um, they, they, that was the mistake, really. And what was Jesus saying about the Pharisees? Because this was another act of Phariseeism, when they will say one thing and do another. Well, it was an act of vanity. Yeah. It's like, look at me. I'm giving the proceeds of the sale of my house, my spare house or whatever it was, to the group. Just have a little look around and just notice that it's it's us. Yeah. Aren't we good? We are doing what Barnabas did, and he's a pretty notable member of the group. We're following in his footsteps, and everyone had gone, isn't that lovely? And then the truth came out. Yeah. Okay, well, they both died. They were both, yeah. both punished with death. Brenton, why? Why did God allow such a thing to happen? It's interesting, Len, that um, they were punished with death. Um, Last evening, as I was doing a Bible study with somebody, they raised this very issue. Didn't I think, personally, that it was a bit harsh that God uh, put them both to death? I think um, he, not only God, not only wanted them to retain the purity and oneness of the church. I think the key, uh, what Steve summarised very quickly, is 
a verse very early in chapter 5, and I haven't got it with me, where it says, how is it that you conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Now, I believe yes. God was showing the seriousness and the gravity of lying to the Holy Spirit. As Steve has quite clearly articulated earlier on, if they'd said we we're going to give 75% of it and here it is, there wouldn't have been an issue. Mm. The issue was that they purported, they, they put it forward that this indeed was the full sum of money. In doing this, in God allowing these people to die, I think it indicated to people that any vow, anything that is made to God is serious and must be followed through. And the fact that they lied... Yes, this, they lied, this, quite clearly. This was a thing to start breaking up the unity. Yes. And it wasn't just that they lied, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Yes, Verse yes. 3 says, Then Peter said, That's Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Yeah. It's all about the fact that they lied, the Holy, lied to the Holy Spirit. There's a... And what, what's the unpardonable sin? It's grieving the Holy Spirit. And that's Which exactly what they, what they did. Mm. And just the, uh, it may sound cruel when you say, oh, God put them to death, you know. But in fact, it was a result of their sin, as it was for Adam and Eve. The result of their sin was death. Mm. Just to clarify that God is not the one who says, oh, yeah. if, you, if you don't listen to what I'm saying, mm. I will kill you. Yeah. No, actually, by your deeds, yeah. you brought the penalty upon yourself. Yeah. Mm. But notice carefully in this story, um, Steve, it's good that you brought that point up. The question that is first asked when Ananias comes in and says, here's the money, this is what we got for the land. Peter says to him, how is it that you lied to the Holy Spirit? When his wife comes in three hours later, Peter says, did you le sell the land for such and such a figure? And her answer is yes. That's the price. So here you've got two questions. You've got a statement made first. How is it that you've agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit? And the second point is this point here. Is this what you got for the land? Yes, it is. All right. And now, we see the result. Thank you, Brenton. Now, we are running out of time, sadly. Rowan, after you share with us what you have, I want to ask you as a panel to... If uh, give a take-home message for the listeners. So, Rowan, would you like to share this statement first? Okay. In this statement, uh, we sort of put together the the condition of the heart of the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. It says, in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17, the last commandment about covetousness is unlike the others. While other commandments speak of actions that are visibly that visibly transgress God's will for humanity. The last commandment is about what is hidden in the heart. The sin of covetousness is not an action, rather it is a thought process. Covetousness and its companion selfishness is not a visible sin, but a condition of sinful human nature. Mm. It becomes visible only when manifested in selfish actions, such as what was seen here with Ananias and Sapphira. In a sense, the last commandment reveals the root of all the evil manifested in the actions condemned by all the other commandments. Their covetousness opened them to Satan's influence, which led them to lie to, the, to God. This is not unlike what Ju Judas' covetousness led him to do as well. Very similar. Okay, well, we've got lots of other good things to share, but we're <laughs> going to have to reduce that a bit. You know, there's no doubt that the believers in the early Christian church had mutual care for each other 
They had their faith established in Christ and were actively engaged in <coughs> spreading the good news of salvation. Their lives were filled with love, hope and service. Now, as Christian believers of today, we may well use what happened with them as a model for ourselves. The Christian life is more than doctrine, more than tradition with its forms and ceremonies. The Christian life, as demonstrated by the early believers, is a life of obedience, joy, care and vibrancy. Now, panel, I know some of you have got things you would like to say, yet, but to wind up today, do you have a succinct message to share with the listeners today? Sure, yes. Uh, for me, it's very simple. Let's spend time together, because only when we spend time together do we really manifest that unity. Okay. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe all things are possible. Okay. Lydia? Um, yes. As we worship um, and um, um, fellowship, the Holy Spirit works through us to transform our atti attitudes that of love uh, and compassion for one another. Okay. Stephen? Yeah, but there's a, a famous saying that no one's quite sure who to attribute it to. Some people attribute it to Augustine, others attribute it to other people, but anyway, it goes, in essentials, unity, in doubtful matters, liberty, and the key line, in all things, charity. Charity is an old-fashioned English word love. for love, and love demands togetherness. Mm -hmm. It demands helping and all those kind of things which I think those are the things that bind people's hearts together yes. yeah. and also I'd like to just remind that uh, we're living in a land of plentiful we live in a society uh, with uh, lots of things <coughs> at, at our hand and I just want to, to challenge ourselves not to hold on those earthly things but to share with those in need and there are many people in need yeah. in this world okay true all right well i have a little one myself i think unity is like a tripod it involves us it involves the lord and it involves other people take out any one and unity disappears well to finish off today i'd just like to pray with you father in heaven we thank you for the example given to us in this this day and age of the early believers and we pray that the Holy Spirit might fill our lives and then we'll be loving and kind and working for you. We pray for your blessings on all the listeners today and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I would like to thank all the people involved in this Bible study, the panel here, and uh, I would like also to wish uh, God's blessings to all of our listeners. And until next time, God be with you.